the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. All right, welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 220, and today we have two special guests. First up is... Di Henwood, kia ora. G'day. And Dr. Michelle Dickinson, a.k.a. Nano Girl. Well, thank you both for coming along. Di, you've been on the show a few times in the past... Yeah, I have. I need to. I've always. I need to get myself a doctor or something before my name. Sounds so much better. It does. Is there something you can get without having to get it? I think there's something <laughs> online we can, we can hook up after this diet. Yeah. We'll uh, just you know bump up your credentials a little bit. Even a monsieur, maybe. So, great to have you on the show. For those that don't know, Di is a world-famous comedian, shall we say, with a, a very heavy tech bent. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's my reading about tech, buying tech, and using tech as sort of my um, what I love to do. Mainly in the sort of mobile um, sphere, I love phones and that sort of carry on, but interested in everything that's happening, and it's certainly a good time to be into tech. Well, you seem to love little gadgets, so we've decided well, to take a, a theme today of miniaturization, and we took that because you're sort of a miniature dude. Yeah. So I hope that's okay. And also because it, if we talk about Michelle for a minute, Michelle... You focus on rather small stuff as well in your day-to-day work. I do. A little bit more specifically, nanotechnology. So the stuff that makes your electronics smaller. I am a materials engineer, and I help design and mostly break now all the components that go inside your electronics. Great. Well, let's jump in. Uh, We'd like to start the show with a few discussions on uh, the latest news, and then we're going to jump into that theme of miniaturization. So first up, Michelle... You've been involved in Microsoft's Imagine Cup this year. Now, this is a global contest. Maybe you can give us a quick sort of rundown on what it's about and the highlights from this year. Sure. So the finals were last night, and I was lucky enough to be a judge. So we had the horrible decision of picking New Zealand's finalist who's going to go through to the big final in Seattle. Basically, there's a lot of money up for grabs, and it's based at uni students to develop usually an app, but could be something a bit more hardware involved too, that will change the world. Something that's being able to be commercialized, something that will help you know, they had different categories, but the one that won was actually called tetherapp.com, made by University of Auckland students in the business school. And basically, it takes your social networks and tethers them together. So let's say that you had a hobby, and your hobby was building robots. And you happen to need some robots as a second person. And you're like, well, how many of my Facebook friends actually could build a robot with me? And what it does is it goes through your Facebook friends and says, who has these skills, even if it's just a hobby, and we could work together on it. So pretty clever way of getting skills locally. You could work out if any of your friends are carpenters or, you know, could repair your car. And then you also get validation because they're friends of friends. You could work out who they are and if you could trust them. Just a way to use social networking more for using skills as opposed to making friends. Pretty cool app, great group of students, and so they're off to Seattle. That's great. So what's what's the grand prize globally? Well, it's pretty big, isn't it's, it? It's pretty. I think it's it's either fifty thousand or hundred thousand. The guys last night got five thousand dollars New Zealand to go towards developing their app more. And um, first, second, and third prize got money to help them develop them further. The other, the second prize went to a, an app called Afoodable, which they've worked with New World and Pack and Save. And basically, they tag up with charities and supermarkets to ask the charities, "What do you need this month?" And then you can go to your store, and your app tells you, "Hey, just to let you know, the City Mission needs bread this month." And you can scan the bread aisle, pay for it on your app, and then the mission gets exactly what is needed. So a foodable came second. It was a really close fight between them and the judges panel. It was amazing. And so for, you know, just making sure that your donations are targeted and the charities locally get exactly what they need, another great app. That is very cool. Excellent. Well, it would be a little bit remiss of us not to talk about the Apple Watch today. That's kind of hit the news of you know, a little bit, hasn't it? Di, you got a few thoughts on this one. Yeah, I've been, I've, I've been waiting for this. Now, my, I probably fall further in the, the Apple camp than any other camp. I've been a user of Apple products for a long time. I've sort of, I mean, I carry, I use a Nexus 5 and an iPhone 6 Plus as my main phones. However, my iPhone's the main one. Um, and I have a Note 4, but some people are 
gluten intolerant. I'm intolerant to touch whiz. It makes me feel bloated and heinous. <laughs> so I, I really like the look of the new Samsung phones, but I would love like a Google Play edition of that. So because I've ne- I haven't been, my daily driver hasn't been an Android phone. I've sort of held off the Android Wear. I've had a bit of a play with it, and I really see how enjoyable it is. But I mean, probably an Apple Watch will be my first one. And to be honest, it fell to the side because I got taken away by they released a new MacBook that I sort of got looking at. Which looks pretty cool, doesn't it? Yeah. In terms of shrinking down laptops, we're seeing more and more of that. And the new MacBook Air looks to really sort of take the cake as far as a very nice, light, slim device. Obviously, take some features out to get that lightness. But is that something you're lining up for? Probably not. It's something I'll be intrigued to see on the second generation. But it's still on the, on the watch thing. I, I'm tentative as to whether I'll get an Apple Watch because it feels a bit to me like the first iPhone where, there, where a lot of things are being handed off from the phone. It itself isn't doing that much. And, and I don't know how many notifications I need. I'm all about trolling people with my heartbeat. And it's taken me back to the days of where I used to draw rude things on bathroom walls. You can now Did draw you? them. Yes. And you, you can, can do that on the uh, on the watch. You draw them on your watch. Rude and uh, You're doodling on your watch. Well, if someone asks you to doodle, what are you going to draw? Uh, it could just be me. I don't know. But Well, on but, the Apple uh, demo, it was a flower. I thought that's what you'd be drawing, Doc. I can't draw flowers. <laughs> but, but the thing is, it's little things like that that I think are really interesting touch points for a phone because it's not sort of something heavy. It's just little cute things that you're bored, and that's what people look for. You know, it's the games that take off, the little games that you can play just to kill that 15 minutes or whatever. So I'm intrigued with it. Uh, they said what it came out with, 18 hours battery life, which they sort of threw out there as impressive, but other ones are getting two days and, and yeah, the well, people's, the, yeah, and we, the people's we've got getting the, a week. The Fitbit ones that are in the direction of a week. Michelle, what's your take? You, you know, quite a technologist. You seem to play with just about every gadget that comes through, but yeah. I don't see you wearing a smartwatch. Yeah, Why not? And has Apple going to address this for you? So you'll see the only jewelry that I have right now is a 3D printed ring that I printed myself out of silver. So I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to that. And I am yet to see a smart watch developed for a girl. If anybody has touched any of the smartwatches out there, you know that they are developed for men's wrist. I can put on anyone. Here's a great example. And it looks like a dude's watch, and it just drowns me, and nobody anywhere that I've seen has developed a smartwatch for a girl. And I'm a techie girl. I love this stuff. I have a disposable income. I have no children. I want to buy these products, <laughs> and I can't, and I haven't seen anybody cater for girls, basically, or women, especially women who like to dress up. And I'm really excited that Apple has finally been like, hey, there's 50% of the market that we haven't even acknowledged before. And I'm also a cycle commuter. So actually having something that I can just glance at while I'm riding into work is really useful just to prioritize what meetings are coming up. So it would be nice to wear something that looks a bit girly, has tech functions, and hopefully will fit my wrist. Now, is it too geeky for you to take a phone call on your watch? Will uh, you do it? No, I totally do it. Die? Yeah, well, I'm not really answering the phone these days, to be honest. I've wondered why my, why my calls never got yeah, answered. Yeah, no, it stresses me out so much. But I could see myself. I've been using voice commands a lot more. I think voice commands, it's still something humans will struggle with, and I don't think voice control is going to meet the mainstream in the near future, to be honest, because for me, it's the uncanny valley thing where people don't really like interacting with robots like mainstream people like I enjoyed talking to Siri or Google now and doing all my appointments and that but my wife still looks at me like with absolute disdain like what are you doing man you know and I'm setting an alarm how cool's that and she's not that cool oh I think it's cool Oh, it is cool. I mean, and the alarm works and everything. Hopefully. Or does it wake you up four hours too early or oh, four hours two year old. too, too late? I haven't needed an alarm for two years. <laughs> but um, no, I really like the voice control aspect of it. I think we'd definitely use it. And like riding is a perfect example. I'm riding, I'm running, I, I'm fully all in on, I've gone through so many different fit bands and things I'm clipping to myself and heart rate monitors, so... I'll be intrigued to see the health kit aspects of it. I've felt a bit let down by Apple and the software end of things, how they always sort of start with the 
look and health kit and all this. And um, I was happy to see you in New Zealand. They're the first New Zealand company that have come out with a app for the watch, so you can scan onto your flights and all that. Little things like that. As someone who travels a lot, that's just popping that down will be great. Integration with Apple Pay, if Apple Pay becomes a relevant thing in our market, will be interesting. And I think it's a watch this space on all of them. I think Android Wear's come out with some amazing pieces. Apple's had the benefit, as they do with a lot of products, of slightly refining on other people's ideas, but I think they're still a year off. I'll be intrigued to see how you buy it, because like this whole thing of Apple is making a watch more for women, for instance, like in terms of changeable bands, different sizes, but how do you buy it? Like In New Zealand, we don't have Apple stores, and it's something and you're going to have to try on. Yeah, and that's probably one of the, well, I think Tim Cook said that's one of the challenges in the store. How do you, you know, make these devices accessible so people can try them on without hanging a big bit of wire off them? I th- you know, a few things to figure out there. Uh, noticeably, New Zealand isn't in that first sort of launch run for April 10. And I think that's specifically because there is no Apple store here. So, you know, Apple want there to be a big glitzy launch for the first country in the world. That will be Sydney, I guess, will be the Sydney Apple store that's all over the the TV for that uh, launch and presumably people queuing around the streets for it. Uh, If they were to make New Zealand one of the launch countries, we'd be a couple of hours ahead and it wouldn't make such a good story. Yeah, they might just be waiting for the sort of furore around the Cricket World Cup to die down. Before they launch the watch. Yeah, that's what it is, Don. It's just speculation, yeah, though. Yeah, it's just See, taking all the attention, isn't Ma- it? Um, Michelle, how would you buy something like that? Because you'd want to try on the bands, and, and surely there's, there's, some, there's a ridiculous amount of sort of combinations you could have. So you'd definitely want to be in store, not online. Oh, I think there's a lot of tech now, even in fashion, in that there's a lot of virtual stuff. You can actually do, I mean, I can change my hairstyle and just put my face on and decide what hair I'm going to have for an app. I actually think I would probably know. We all have a style, so I'd know what sort of metal or, I mean, I don't think that's as big a deal for, for women because we sort of know what we like and we have a, you know, a designer we like or a style. So you'd probably have that spec and then go in and try it on the store but I don't think we'd tinker that much with it actually but I am sad that New Zealand wasn't first on the map I just felt like sometimes we're just really lost sometimes just forgotten about as that little old country and and you know it's kind of sad but I will be in the States on the 8th so oh, <coughs> just saying that's, com- that's convenient <laughs> because the interesting thing is Apple used to launch here at the same time there were you know there were a range of products I think uh, the iPhone 5 maybe was the, was the last one and then I think they clicked on to the negative aspects of having New Zealand in that initial uh, launch run because they uh, yeah, probably had less, less control over the media uh, coverage of the, the launch. I, That's um, my pick I may have it. waited outside a store in Wellington for the iPhone 4, and then I realised the guy who worked in the store still worked there for the iPhone 5, and so he may have got dinner out with me one night <laughs> for me to get to the front of that queue. Just saying. Thanks, Wellington guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't have, I don't get the advantage of uh, being able to do that. Now, um, in other topics, one of the, uh, one of the apps just come across recently. Now, this first launch last year, uh, is an app called Airside, uh, went into trial last year. It's now available, um, covering two US Airports, and uh, the idea is is that you can fast track through uh, Atlanta and uh, Miami by having this app and getting your uh, passport scanned, and this basically replaces having to um, having to go through all of the the steps at customs. How does this sound? Is this helpful? I'm a little bit excited about this, other than the fact that I'm not eligible because I'm not a U.S. citizen with a U.S. passport, and getting to Miami or Atlanta is not useful for me from New Zealand. But I'm excited about the principle that this can happen. I travel, last year I did 18 international trips. This year I'm probably on 22 international trips. I travel a lot. And if I think about how much of my life I waste at LAX for three hours trying to just get into the country so I can fly to somewhere else... um, I would love, like I have a background, you know, I'm not, I'm not a criminal, criminal, I have a good background, I'm happy for them to do security checks on me and upload it onto my phone and just be like, okay, she's, you know, just let her through, she does this a lot, this is a job, she doesn't need to wait two or three hours every time, so I'm excited about this, I'm ready for it to happen more and now and here and everywhere and yeah, let's do it. Is it safe, is it safe and secure, Di? 
Yeah, I I mean, I, I sort of, uh, I waver a bit on the security thing because, um, like, like Michelle, I'm I'm not a criminal. I'm not that, you know, I, I Google a lot of severely dubious things, but nothing that could land me in, in jail. So I don't mind about people knowing everything about me. I think you can upload it. But I, I'm always dubious about these th- sort of things. As you know, LAX is, they, they like... They've faced such an issue with terrorism, immigration and so forth, but I don't know if they've gone about it. It's quite a broken mechanism at the moment, trying to get through. So Get your fingerprints scanned, get your whole body yeah, scanned. Yeah, but knowledge is, needs, to be, needs to be there because they say these things are there. Then you end up going up to a customs official and they look at you like you're raving mad. It's like with the Apple Pay thing. Like Apple Pay, I've spoken to friends over in America who go to stores where there's Apple Pay, try to pay with their phone and walk out, and people are like, what are you doing? You like, haven't you paid. Know, it's that thing yeah. of, because unless technology is sort of ubiquitous and people are all educated about it, it doesn't work. But for us tech-savvy people, things like this are great because no one's on it. So you and 50 other people who have got scoot, this all uploaded through. just... Go straight through. So I'm, I'm all about it. I mean, I love your smart gate at New Zealand, coming into New Zealand. Absolutely, so. it's, it saves a whole lot of time until everyone gets on it, which is sort of where we're at now. And you, and you go through to go through the smart gate, thinking, oh, this will get me through quicker. And then you look at the normal queue and realise there's no one in it. Uh, and you duck back through the normal queue and do it the old school way because uh, it takes you half the time. Yeah, an, inter- <laughs> an interesting <laughs> thing. Vaguely talking about the security at the moment is. The whole issue of of you have to give over all your tech now, at like because a customs control officer in America, if you're within a hundred miles of an American border, the police are allowed to take your phone and your technology and search it and so forth. And now we're moving towards fingerprints and so forth. That an American policeman can't ask you for a password, but you have to give a fingerprint because it's physical evidence. So. I mean, it's, all of this sort of thing is going to raise some issues as phones become not just browsing and email, but actually are now containing not only um, your emails and a few passwords, but your biometric data, all of you, like your you. So someone else um, can manufacture that. A digital copy that. of Die Henwood that they could download and print another die. Yeah. You know, would you want that to happen? Oh, no. They'd need to pay a license fee <laughs> or something, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If they're licensing it, it's fine. <laughs> um, but, you yeah, know, just... Uh, but then I think everyone's scared of new technology as it comes in. And, you know, people were scared of books when they came out and they didn't cause too much of an issue. Or did they? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking that one's true. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, on, on to, on to uh, um, a, re- a related subject then. Uh, there's, there's talk now that the government are, are going to uh, pass an act, that, or p- that potentially, that would allow customs to demand the passwords for whatever devices that you bring into the, the country. Now, I can see from the perspective of if there's a potential terrorist coming in that the more information that they can draw out of that that person and out of the the gadgets and so on that they're carrying that 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 could be good for our you know national security but the the talk here is around uh basically being able to pick anyone at random and say, "Hey, die, hey Michelle, hey Paul, the three of you." Give us all your gadgets. Give us your passwords. If you refuse, three months in the slammer. Yeah, well, it's always wise to travel with a burner laptop, I've found. (laughs) (laughs) Are you for real? (laughs) No, but I mean, it's more and more like a a lot of recommendations are if you are traveling, like why things like this new MacBook that they've released or like a Chromebook are quite good to travel with if you're just doing email and typing. So then if your stuff does get confiscated, um, it's not a big issue. And this is another thing is I don't know if they open it... 
get someone's password that their notes app's going to be open with all the terrorist info what they're <laughs> up to. Like, surely they gamble on. But they might they might go through your history. I remember coming back from uh, the US. I'd been I'd been at a conference. I I got off a um, uh, a train at uh, Penn Station in New York and walked across the road where a Kiwi friend was going to pick me up. And while I was waiting for him to arrive, I saw some guys sort of mingling around outside uh, the the building there. And I asked one of them, oh, what's happening here? And he said, oh, there's a hackers conference on. And I thought, oh, this is good timing. I've definitely got to check this out. I've never been to a hackers conference before. So the next day I went and spent the day at this hackers conference. And, of course, as you do, there's you know varying sort of hacker zines and all sorts of things available. And so I, I bought up a stack of these things so they'll be interesting to read later. What I didn't think about after looking at some of the content in these zines and the sort of probably highly illegal stuff that was covered of what might have happened if I'd been walking through customs with that sort of information. And not that, you know, I had any, uh, you know, bad intentions, but just having that sort of information might have got me into a lot of hot water. And I guess there's the potential here with this, uh, just for a, a random Joe that's, you know, picked up some information, visited a, a, a website that... Um, customs don't like and you could get into uh, all sorts of trouble. I think we're assuming that customs have a lot of time and actually have something to, you know, I mean, I think giving them the power to protect our country is really important. And I think the average Joe blogs isn't going to come across an issue. I've had issues before in the US because I am a nanoscientist who has worked in Iran. <laughs> Those don't go down well, very well in the US, <laughs> especially when they're stamping your passport and they see the Iranian visa in it. They're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a nanotechnologist. Never say that. Never. Just be a scientist. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, and I've been quizzed and, and it's no fun, but when you have nothing to hide, it, it's a very quick process. You're very open. You're like, here's all my stuff. I'm happy for you to go through everything. And it's not a problem. And so customers aren't there to just go through your stuff, right? They're there because they have pulled you aside for a reason. And even, you know, with the hackers conference, you had a physical object. I mean, they could take that from you. And so we seem to think that tech is very different. But back in the old days, people would write things in their diary and that was taken off them and used against them. So I don't see why just because you have a password protect on it, it'd be like having a padlock on your diary. doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to open it if they have due thought and cause and, you know, an inkling that you look a little bit dodgy. And if you're not, you can usually prove that pretty quickly. It also is, you know, the TSA and that, they're allowed to open the padlock on your bag, so it's just a sort of another step towards that. Okay, so, so we're just all pretty relaxed about it. Yeah, I'm into it. <laughs> I'm right. fully pro it, actually. All I'm, right. I'm flip-flopping. I'm into it. I want to start doing it. <laughs> That's you want to work before for customs, my name. Don't I could you? be a customs officer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you could find some interesting things. Now, I've always wanted a blue cargo onesie. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, one more, one more bit of news we heard today. Android 5.1, it's official, it's landing soon. Uh, apparently a few little uh, stability changes, but it makes Android uh, geared up for having multiple SIM cards. HD voice and so on. Um, you excited about this, Di? You, I mean, you, you like your Android devices. Yeah, I do, well. and I've been getting fully on board with the material design. I really like where Google's um, been going with that, and I think it'll be a joy if, in a, in a strange world, all uh, um, manufacturers all just started shipping with Android, just actual Android on their devices. I'm intrigued about the multiple SIM card things, because... Um, being someone who um, I work in Australia a lot and swapping SIM cards is really annoying. So having two SIM cards and devices working well is um, intriguing and I, I think the more I've seen of um, Android 5 is that it's getting slicker and slicker. They're ironing out the same issues that Apple had when they added and all their sort of movement and all that sort of carry on and animations that they all always run a bit slower. And... Um, no, I think I really like where um, Android's going at the moment, and I think it's so clean. Yeah, I think it's looking pretty good. That Yeah, the concept of having multiple SIM cards is pretty handy for those of us that travel a lot. Uh, and also, but I think that interestingly, the, the focus isn't, isn't the travellers for this. It's been predominantly the low-end devices in, in markets where um, you know, there, there have been reasons why people would be across multiple networks to get you know, the best deals on on 
uh, calling and data and, and, and text and so on. Um, but we're slowly starting to see that come into, uh, into higher end. So you're, you're saying burner phones with multi- multiple SIM cards? <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's quite a niche market that they're going for. Have you watched The Wire? No. Oh, it would have been amazing on this. <laughs> it's, it's perfect for your, your drug dealer who doesn't have a, um, have a little pin to swap a SIM card. Handy. And it really cares about cheap data roaming. <laughs> <laughs> now, on to Michelle. Any uh, interest from you in Android 5, or are you mostly a, a, an iOS, iOS iPhone gal? Yeah, I'm very, sorry, I'm very biased in that. I'm a very iPhone-centric. Um, and I have tried other phones, but um, it's only been a one-night stand and they've gone back. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm loving my, my iPhone. So, because we've got a we've got a few gadgets sort of kicking around here. Last week we had the new um, Galaxy S six Edge and Galaxy S six. Uh, this week, yesterday, actually launched uh, Samsung's two new sort of middle of the range phones. So we've got there the Galaxy A five, and somewhere was the uh, the Galaxy A three, which was its uh, its smaller sibling. Di, these are quite interesting in that they're actually quite a nice sort of metal build. This is a you know a change we saw uh, started last year with the um, the Galaxy Alpha, uh, and now we're starting to see that that come through. I mean, it, it definitely feels like a bit more of a, a quality device, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I mean I'm I'm a big design is one of my major um, sort of passions, and I was so have been so down on Samsung over the years of being plasticky and so forth and I thought they knocked it out of the park with their announcement last week um, I think the Edge is a really beautiful um, piece of kit as well as the S6 and these as well because you're saying this is a this is a middle mid-range phone yeah yep um, I think we're talking uh, in the four to six hundred dollar range for the, the, those two two handsets um, yeah we'll, we'll there'll be some details on on the podcast yeah, I mean they, f- they feel nice they They've got that nice metallic feel. Are these these rocking any sort of water resistant, dust resistant? So that, that's, I guess, you know, one of the limitations as we go to the the metal devices, we're tending to get, uh, you know, less of less of that, um, and they don't have the wireless charging. So there's, you know, there's a bunch, there's a whole bunch of features really when you can compare uh, these to the S6 and the S6 Edge uh, in terms of the fingerprint sensor. Um, as well as that, that wireless charging that's uh, that's missing, um, but you do have a micro SD um, removable in the side, so you can uh, you can you can do that, which is good. You see, I've got a um, I've got a friend who's a Samsung tragic, right, and loves his Samsung phones, but he said he's not moving to the S6 because he he listens to podcasts in the shower on his S5. And that that's literally that's something that he literally it's such a feature of his day that 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 taking that away is actually sort of a bit of a deal breaker for him. Yeah, I don't think that'll be too much of an issue because I think that we're going to see a we'll see a waterproof version of that come through. Yeah, it's obviously going to be a. a uh, different design in some form, but we're going to see that variation. I would think the waterproof, dustproof variant, you know. Um, Announced maybe within a month or two of launch. That's my pick anyway. I could be completely wrong, but you know we we've seen those sort of more robust variants the last two times around. All right. Well, next up we're on to our topic of um, miniaturisation. So we've got a, a few other little gadgets here. Obviously, we looked looked at some phones. Um, we've got here a little uh, a little stick. Now, this one's got the Intel logo on it. Now, Di, how would you describe that um, in I would, terms of physically? I would describe this as like half of a Kit Kat bar with a half of a Kit Kat bar with a small with a with a little dongle hanging out a of it. A little HDMI. Yeah, you know, you know, like like not the Kit Kat chunkies, which would probably be my <laughs> preferred Kit Kat, but the ones that have the two sticks. Yeah, and it's far more plasticky than a Kit Kat. And um, un- I wouldn't be licking that. No, but it's probably better to plug into your TV than a Kit Kat would be. <laughs> That's my initial impressions. <laughs> it look, it just looks like a. Um, I, in fact, it, it looks like a bigger version of a Roku stick that I just um, got to plug into the TV. 
Michelle, what, I mean, what we've got here is uh, it's effectively a mini PC. It's got an Intel uh, Atom chip in it, which means it can run a full operating system such as Windows. I mean, it really is a tiny little device. Um, I mean, hanging that off the back of your PC with, I mean, it's got USB inputs and various things on it, and you've got to plug power into it as well. Um, it, it might well sort of uh, be a bit weighted down after you start plugging, plugging things into it. Um, but as a as a portable computer, can you see there being a benefit of uh, of that from for you from your perspective? Oh, from a personal interest, definitely a benefit. I mean, I do a lot of experiments out in the field, and some of my fields are very hostile environments. I don't be bringing a bunch of tech. If I can bring a small device and this, and be able to just upload exactly the software I need for my experiment on this. This is genius. I can now do a lot more portable experiments without having to carry a bunch of gear with me. So from a scientific point of view, I think it really opens up the field. And they're pretty cheap. And so actually, we could have different ones for different experiments and just load them independently. And, you know, I could give one to each of my students and know that they could have their own as opposed to saying you can have your own. I don't think they get their own computers anymore. I don't know. And if they do, they're old ones. But these are cheap enough that I could give these to my PhD students. They could go out to the field, get some data. And one of the big things I'm trying to do is incorporate science into New Zealand, the population. So how about you do an experiment for me at home and give me your data? And now I can get big data on New Zealand as a whole. What is your house temperature? How much mold do you have in your house? I'll plug this into a sensor. If I could give you this too and run independent software on that, suddenly we can get a lot more data for what we're doing in New Zealand and, and how we live. Cool. Now we've got another little gadget here which uh, is next to die there. Um, it's similar size, a different, slightly different form factor, but this is the uh, new Raspberry Pi 2 that uh, um, doesn't matter if you drop it, die. Um, <laughs> I, I have to say that because you just did. <laughs> um, but the, I mean, this is about uh, $40, and this will actually be able to run, I mean, all, all you know, Linux and so on, but you know, later on in the year there'll be a Windows 10 variant uh, for it as well. Now, slightly different uh, capabilities, but in many ways similar to that to that stick. So I guess that opens up even more of those sorts of opportunities. If you can put uh, a gadget like that with some varying sensors and so on uh, in a home, Arduino bits and pieces and so on, you'd be able to get similar results? Yeah, definitely. And, and both you know, the Raspberry Pi and the Arduino are great for me as an educating tool. I mean, I can teach kids how to code and set up LED lights and do sensors with something really simple like that. Um, so I, I love it. I love how cheap they are. I love how accessible they are. I love, I mean, I've always been a big fan of the, the Raspberry Pi. And, you know, it, lo- it looks amazing. It, it's small. It's light. It's cheap. It's, it's a great tool. It's a great way for people to learn about tech. One of the things I love about this is kids never see what's inside things anymore. We don't put screws on stuff anymore. Somehow the screw went extinct. Um, so if you try and open up technology, you get in a lot of trouble now because you have to actually um, open it through optical bonding heat of the glass, and that's never any good. This is a great way to keep, teach people about what's inside. So what does the circuit look like? How does it work? Where does it go to? How do you rewire it? What sensors can you plug in? Massive fan, and so glad that they're still doing them. Now, while we're talking about that, Michelle, you're involved in a, in a charity that's involved in, in uh, that's about you know getting kids plugged into tech at an early age. Can you just give us a little little rundown on that? I don't think it's something sure. we've really covered in the past. Sure. Okay. So I co-found a charity called OMG Tech, and we are a nationwide charity which teaches kids, specifically in low decile schools, how to interact with tech, especially if they don't have tech at home. So we teach fundamentals of 3D printing, coding, robotics, and science. And then we have my favorite space that I invented called the breaker space. And literally we give them something electronic, a screwdriver and a hammer, and we're like, just go, just destroy it. Tell me what you find inside. Where do I sign up? That sounds like so much fun. It's so much fun, and it's a disaster zone at the same time, right? Because you've got like five-year-olds like this with screwdrivers like running around. It's great. Um, and it's the first time they've been able to open something and not get in trouble for it. And a lot of them don't have tech at home. So that's my charity. And then we also have a system in that we educate the educators. There are lots of teachers who aren't confident in teaching robotics or coding or 3D printing. They come too. And then we give them hands-on training while the kids are there. So everybody learns at once. Um, Usually what happens is then the teachers steal all the robots and have a teacher robot race in the corner while the kids are eating lunch. Um, and so we're basically just trying to teach literacy and tech, especially to those kids who don't have tech at home and don't have schools that support tech. 
And by making it fun like that, teachers, everyone wants to get involved and do more of it, right? It's ridiculous. Nobody ever wants to go home at the end of the day, and there's so much mess and so much fun. And and what I'm trying to do is not make tech intimidating. Lots of people decide they're not going to have a tech career because it's it's only for smart people or only for rich people. or It's for everybody. And actually, you need a really diverse workplace. And so my goal is to open up tech to not be as intimidating, especially for the girls who may not have a female role model who's techie. I come along and we're like, let's bash this open and let's rewind this and here's a soldering iron and and just sort of expose that you know women and men can do tech that's absolutely true that's great yeah i am um, i've actually i've got a two-year-old and say i've been saving up old um imacs well like an old imac and all these things and i thought i'd get rid of them i'd just leave them and that exact thing of just open them up and say pull it apart see what happens you know that thing is they mild they mildly work at the moment so pull it apart put it back together and i think it's so so encouraging because i Grew up at a time where um, computers were sort of just coming in when I was like 12. So it's now seeing these sort of things, this Raspberry Pi, which I dropped on my bad day to wear magnetic pants. That's not going to work again. <laughs> yeah, thanks um, for that, <laughs> But um, seeing these that are now just at such a tiny price point where it doesn't matter if you stuff it up. You know, it doesn't matter. It's not like Dad's come home and he's going to freak out that you loaded all this weird software you got when you went to Hong Kong with your mum. <laughs> oh, man. That, that mega never worked again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, these devices are, are so good at the sort of price point. You just plug in a micro SD card. You can load up what you want. You, you know, they're... Yeah, you can wreck it with um, with what you've done to it, die. But yeah. um, you know, uh, other than that, you know, you can really experiment and uh, you know do all sorts of, but of stuff. With this it. is also, I think, a, a wonderful point for Microsoft, to be honest, and where Microsoft are and how they're, they're, they've sort of got a, a new governance, which is is really pushing them towards the future. And all these sort of devices lend themselves to because Microsoft has such a solid and robust operating system and they give it to people to put on, you know, whereas Apple, we make our products and we put our software on it, whereas this, you can put it on there. And, and as you're saying, Paul, you've got this fully functioning thing. You just find yourself a monitor and there you go. And the Raspberry Pi, you can even get add-ons and, like, it comes with more ports than a MacBook Air to begin with. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, certainly at the price point, it's, you know, it's something that is great to get kids, kids started on. Um, but I think that, you know, in a lot of cases, they're going to need some help to get started because you plug that in and, yeah, nothing comes up. But so, you know, you've got to go through a few steps. But, you know, the net is there to help as well. And just jumping on YouTube, you can find a lot of resources to get, to get started if you've got the right bits and pieces. Yeah, so it's I, becoming I, much more accessible, isn't it? What I'd recommend to people, even as like a gift for someone, as I got on it is there's a lot of sites out there like on the top of my brain like lynda.com is one that springs to mind of these sites we can sign up for free two weeks and then it's like 10 bucks a month and there's really intelligent people teaching you about software about basics of building things and knowledge is there to grab and it makes me so excited for my um for my child, knowing that he's going to be coming into a world where you're not in this little curriculum of these half a dozen teachers at a school, that they can go, this is floating my boat, and they can just drink in as much information about it, and now with these sort of things, you can spend 100 or $200 on hardware and buy them a sack of, <laughs> hard- of hardware just to start tinkering with and making something as basic as an alarm clock with LEDs or really push the boat out. So one thing that I passionately strive towards is making sure that our kids don't just know how to read technology, but also how to write technology. And this is really going to let our kids be able to write and define the future. Now, there's one more gadget here. Uh, There's a couple more, but this is one, in terms of things sort of shrinking down, it's not particularly... Uh, small, but I guess it's um, and what we're doing. What we've got here is the uh, the parrot flower power. Now, Michelle, you made a bit of fun of this gadget before. Di, can you um, can you open it up and just so we can sort of see? Not not that well, everyone the in the audience can start. can see. You have to go online to have a little bit of a look. But what what I'm curious about is all these new sensors that are that are able to be shrunk down, put in a watch 
put in some clothing, uh, put in something that you can plug into your uh, your soil to measure, measure uh, in this case, moisture and light and uh, and something else. Uh, Michelle, you can probably tell us what else it measures. I, I, I... I don't like this product. Um, no, because you could actually, with that Arduino that's going around the room, you could build one of these really simply for about $40 tops and code it yourself. This is a couple of sensors with a plastic stick. Um, it's probably a light sensor and uh, an electrode that senses maybe salinity. Um, so basically, it's an app attached to a stick with some sensors in that tells you if your plant needs anything. Now, those of us with green fingers know when our plant needs anything because I look at it, and if its leaves are wilting, I'm like, oh, I need some water. But and that's if its leaves not are going me. brown, I'm like, oh, it's in the sunshine. I should move it. And I, I just feel like this is going to lose interactions between people and their plants. And instead of that, my phone will vibrate and be like, please water your plant. And so I've lost like that nurturing state of loving my plant and knowing when it needs something and being its provider instead of my phone telling me, go throw it some water because the stick says so. And what you said before was this doesn't even sense whether you're talking to your plants. No, so man, that's a talking problem. to your plant is one of the most important things you need to do for them to thrive, and this doesn't even have any voice control on it. So if it's not going to talk to your plant, it's never going to work. So tell us that, so the alternative, and this has got some nice software and so on with it, what would be the alternative if you wanted to make this build yourself your as a project? Just run us through what that might look like. Build your own, and I've done it as part of the Crest Challenge with a bunch of 16-year-olds in Auckland. We did it this year, actually. We had a, we had a, a moisture sensor, we had a temperature sensor, we had a light sensor, um, and we did the same thing. And we showed that if you put this in, the plants grew blood around the one with the sensor because we were able to tailor the water filtration for it more. And I think we built it because we didn't even use an Arduino for ours. I think we built it for about $10. That's great. It didn't come with a fancy plastic stick that isn't, you know, recyclable and stuff. But, you know, <laughs> um, I, I'm sure it's great. It seems like a really high price point. From, I mean, how much would you spend on a plant? 10 bucks, 15 this well, you can you it. can imagine, as with any technology, the first you know the first product comes out an expensive price point, but you could imagine in a in a few years these will be available for for next to nothing. It's a it's a bit quirky, and I think it's making us lose touch with our interactions with nature. And I just don't think we need another gadget for our plants. So I'm I'm poo pooing this one. It's quite cute to look at, but I just think that we should stick to loving our plants and knowing what they need by spending time with them. Die. Well, I don't want to be the guy who keeps bringing this back to drug dealing, but... Um, <laughs> it, but it does seem to be a bit of a habit of yours, Di. But when you showed me this earlier on, the first thing I said was marijuana growers in Northland because it monitors fertiliser, light, and temperature. So, I mean, I, I, I can't see a use for this in, in the house, um, but because uh, it would be far more enjoyable to to build your own or so forth, or or just sort of look look at look at the plant and go that that needs a bit of water. Um, but it's I mean it's one of these things of uh, the ups and the downs of technology is whenever there's a new thing like for instance sensors are the are the hot thing at the moment you know like if you you go online and you see the amount of things you can buy for your home to just chuck up on a door to and I'm I'm very I I, I love the idea of heaps of sensors in your house and like you were mentioning earlier because New Zealand has notoriously bad architecture notoriously bad um internal um heating and sort of management basically of of your house so you, the more you can put sensors around and discover the airflow in your house like we have gas so having sensors that can see carbon monoxide levels can um, monitor the health of your air they're, they're great but then the downside is that you start getting weird little gadgets that the 99 bucks and the downside of tech is heavy metals and non-reusable parts so I, this is not a gadget that I would buy and then in 10 years' time be going, oh, I'm so stoked I got that flower power parrot thing. You know, I use it every day. <laughs> so just carrying on from what Di said, so new research came out and was invented this week and published for um, a new type of ink that goes into your ballpoint pen. So you take a pen, 
you run out of ink and it's a new type of ink and it's a drawable sensor, giving all of us now the power to draw a sensor onto anything. And what they've done is they've drawn it onto the leaves of plants and trees. So you can do pollution sensors, for example. You can go out to your garden, you can draw the sensor onto the leaf, put a detector on the back of it, and now you can have a sensor that doesn't have to have plastic around it, isn't made out of a product that's bad for the environment. Um, One pen with a fill has 500 sensors capability. There's a potential that if you're a soldier, I know this is nanotech, man, this is is what I do. If you're a soldier, you can now have ones that detect nerve gas. So if you're moving from place to place, you can work out if your location, just draw on the building that you're in. It will tell you if there's anything dangerous. You can also draw on your skin. It does glucose monitoring. Those are the types of sensors we should be investing in, not some parrot plastic pot thing. Sounds pretty cool to me. So, uh, Michelle, what are, what are the what are the other sort of opportunities that that these sensors sort of you know bring to the table, and and the other you know things that we're seeing from the miniaturisation? What do you see sort of coming up in the years ahead? Oh, I can go all day. So, my my thing right now that I'm really excited about sensor wise is um, printing nanotechnology sensors onto temporary tattoos. So there's a new glucose sensor that's come out and a new lactic acid sensor that's come out. So right now, if you are diabetic, you have to pinprick yourself, measure the blood. The new glucose sensor is printed onto a temporary tattoo. You stick it onto your skin. It gives you a tiny little shock, but it's so small that it, you don't really feel it. That causes the, um, the ions inside your skin and the fluid to come towards a sensor. And on the sensor, as part of the printing process, they've got enzymes on there that detect glucose. Now you have a temporary tattoo that can measure your insulin levels real time. It's disposable, so you can throw it away. Maybe you don't need it all the time. You can replace it every day. You don't have to do the pinprick anymore. And there's an opportunity now to put a wireless chip on it so it goes straight to your insulin dispenser if you have one, or then it will tell your phone what levels you need to be having. Wow, see, I was thinking more like a hose Roomba that could um, (laughs) drive around your garden and water stuff. But that sounds way cool. I'm still getting over the pen that you draw... And now, you can't see this, but she's putting on a, some a sort of Matrix helmet. It looks now as though Michelle has transferred herself into some sci-fi futuristic place. Tell us what you're wearing on your head, Michelle, and what this is all about. So, um, obviously, I got into nanotech because of the Borg Queen, so I have a bit of a sci-fi fetish. Um, and so I'm currently wearing an Epoch emotive headset on my head and basically this is if you're into wearable techs i'm a little bit obsessed right now in wearable techs and i'm really obsessed in measuring the power of my brain and so there are lots of headsets that have come out recently this is just one of them this is the bigger clunkier one there's some new ones that are just a little headband that sit on your head and they're measuring the, my brain waves pretty much and what they're doing is allowing me to control my computer with my brain how good is this getting because i've tried oh. this in the past and i've been i've been a little bit Disappointed, but this technology's been moving along pretty quickly, right? Disappointed with the technology or your brain? Because what I'm learning (laughs) (laughs) is if you have good brain control, they're amazing. And it's probably taken me a few months to actually figure out how to control my brain in a way that that the computer is doing what I want it to do. You can play two-player games and you know then who has the better brain really quickly because you have to move a ball across the screen and both brains are trying to move it in the opposite direction. I am not playing you. (laughs) Um, So I'm really excited about these headsets and this is is a wearable tech. There are meditation softwares out there so if you're really stressed and you want to just get your brain to chill out and train it how to chill out, you can have an app that actually helps you do that and tells you when you're doing well. It's a game so you sort of trying to move it um, on the app. I'm excited about this. So um, um, I work really closely with a company called um, ThinkWired and they are a New Zealand company and they are basically developing software with these Epoch headsets to help people with cerebral palsy and locked-in syndrome to communicate. They're going to give them back the way that they could talk, they can interact with their computer, they can now control things and have an independent life. And this Epoch headset was um, used recently in Germany with um, a company that you can now control your car with it. So there's a car in Germany, you think the thoughts accelerate, brake, left, right, and you can drive up to 50k an hour just using the power of your brain. People do this thing, which is what you're doing right now, Paul. You're raising your eyebrows at me. So the thing with new technology is everybody's like, Oh, that's really do you trust people's brains you use your brain to drive your car because you use your brain to tell your arms and legs what to do 
So the thought process has already happened. What you're now doing is just transferring that wirelessly to the car. But what that allows somebody with locked-in syndrome do is now be mobile and have their own transport. Their brain is fine. And so I'm a big fan of um, of ThinkWired. And my little plug for them is there's a People Choice Award that you can vote for them to win some money to keep developing this software. That's where my vote goes. Um, and I think this wireless tech and these headsets, I know they look a bit odd, um, and they're probably not the newest fashion trend. They are getting smaller, but I think they're really going to change the way that we interact with our devices. And we talked about touching the screens on our phone. I'm pretty sure the touch screen is dead because why would you do that when you can just think what you need to do on your phone? What mildly stresses me out is driving's probably about the third or fourth thing I'm thinking about when I'm driving. So, so, so does it, will it filter all that out? I'm not going to make the multitasking joke here, but I'm going to tell you that women are better than this than men. <laughs> I bet. I bet. I'm. I'm. That's, I, that's my 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 concern is whether it's going to you know what thoughts is it going to pick up on and there are, yeah some thoughts that you know you might just not want to be detected by a computer. Where's that information going to get stored? You know, there could be a few challenges with this, Diane. Look, I, as someone who, like, I work in the creative sphere and um, I spend a lot, lot of my day is between doing admin of emails and all that sort of carry on and then creatively writing, I love this idea of actually seeing your brainwaves, seeing how best to say use your brainwaves, you know, because whether um, I'm wasting time as I'm jumping between things or whether, you know, how you can monitor your brain throughout the day and go, I'd be best if I did all these activities at once, then set time aside, then just focus my brain and got it into the zone and doing this. So um, I'm all in on this, and I think the... um, the the benefit for people with cerebral palsy and that this is just where technology is so inspiring and makes makes me feel so happy that you can give people that are in such a terrible predicament um, a bit of light. So then no, I'm I'm into this and um, I'm definitely so you can get a headband one. I'm not, I think I yeah, I mean, this that. could be a real leveller, couldn't it? And, uh, you know, as we come in with, well, I guess, uh, translation technologies and, you know, so many different uh, things that sort of start to start to come into play, people that maybe, you know, can't speak, uh, deaf and so on, all of these technologies, the way they tie together, are going to really change things. I'm fascinated as, as this type of technology and the varying senses of things we wear and so on, as all of that data gets collected, we end up with a sort of big data stores of information. How smart is the world going to get in terms of um, being able to figure things out about us? You know, are you unwell? Have you got this disease, that disease, etc.? Sort of, you know, knowing all those trigger points based on these, uh, you know, varying data collection points, I think is going to, you know, revolutionise medicine and so on, isn't it? Because there are there are all sorts of, you know, triggers that happen before you actually get to the point of being diagnosed with something or, you know, knowing that you've got a particular issue. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the, if it's managed properly, it is. Superb, but I know through the different cloud devices that I have, you know, and different cloud storage over here and over here and over here, how clunky it can get when I'm man- managing like 400 gigs worth of stuff. So I think streamlining this data and making sure people have just got the the uh, data that's needed at the right time, like the right healthcare professionals. Have your da- I, like, I love this because I know even just trying to get hold of my blood tests for the last like seven years is a nightmare, you know, and trying to get all that information so I can see it and I can put it on a graph, that's a disaster. So if big data is being stored and it's accessible to the person, it's not being locked away by companies and companies thinking that they can own your personal data and you somehow need to buy it out of them through subscriptions if you have constant access to your data I'm happy with it but at the end of the day it's all going to collapse and there's just going to be Will Smith and a dog so (laughs) that's the future (laughs) that is possible but I think um, 
more more likely there you know um, and you know I, I do enjoy these sort of science fiction movies or the sort of you know some of the the concepts that they come up with but um, minority report and the um, what were they called the precogs or whatever that they were able to you know uh, tell something bef- before it happened actually with all of this data a computer would actually be able to figure out you know so much stuff before it actually uh, became reality potentially. So I'm working a lot in this big data space and we have a huge problem in that we collect so much data but we're not very good at organizing it in a place that's easy to find and developing software to interpret that data. Because actually, as humans, we're still very varied. My heartbeat is different to your heartbeat and we can collect those heartbeats but what does that mean in the greater scheme of things? So we are still quite primitive in what we do with this big data but I think collecting I have this dream of the tricorder anybody know what a tricorder is yeah man Star Trek junkie Um, being able to just scan you and tell you what's wrong with you because your vitals have been recorded for a long period of time and it can work out what's different I think we're closer to creating a tricorder than we are to understanding what we're going to do with all this big data have we got have we got enough space to you know to actually store all that data because the 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 rate at which we're able to collect information now is you know is just increasing exponentially storage space in the in the in the cloud yes it's growing but um, you know what's it going to cost to do all of that yeah it's and so we really need to think about how we store data actually and maybe we need to redefine the technology for data storage and right now it's still quite a clunky system and and so is there a better way to do that and to do it quicker because we're only going to make this problem worse we're all going to carry smartwatches that now you know detect everything on us and, and upload that data to somewhere so now we're creating more data and i just don't think we really know what to do with it yet and what about the security aspects that, that surrounds that? With all of this data, somebody else that maybe we don't want to analyse our data could be doing some interesting things with it. And there was the uh, the story, and I think this one goes back a, a little while now, um, of a, uh, I think it was a supermarket in the US that was watching the buying trends. And here in New Zealand, we've got the uh, the, the one card and they keep a record of all your purchases and, and, and you know do some analysis of that data and in this particular case I think you know they they analyzed somebody's purchasing patterns and decide, and the computer decided this this particular I think it was a teenage girl uh, Michelle you know the story um, but the teenage girl they decided that she was she was pregnant and they sent out some offer or some uh, communication to her around this and actually she didn't know and her family didn't know but actually they they were accurate in their uh, in their prediction so as we collect this sort of data there's some pretty fascinating uh, you know findings that that the technology can can deliver uh, which may well surprise us and, and may well not be information that we want somebody else uh, to, to know about us, although we might find it interesting in some cases, or, or it might be something that makes us feel pretty depressed. Yeah, but it comes down to the, um, the I suppose, the, the biggest argument is the insurance argument, that all this data is collected, and then all of a sudden your insurance premiums go up. And you or don't, down. Or down, yeah, or uh, probably up. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> that's um, the way the world is. Because you, 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 that, they've been collecting all this data about you, and then they suddenly find they know out, all the risk points, right? Like Paul Spain, when he's not talking tech, he's just smoking shisha and eating kebabs. Which <laughs> you're not. This, is, but the, but the, <laughs> but, the, but you think one of the senses might suggest yeah, that. But the, but then, but then it goes. You know, he, they, this person's a smoker. This person has been, um, has gone to um, Carl's Jr. three times um, a month for the last two years. That means they're eating this much saturated fat. Yada, well, that's yada, you. Yada. That's, I saw you buy Carl's Jr. the other day, but what the sensor didn't know is that you were running past it. <laughs> yeah, I was running past but, it. But the GPS might have picked that up and passed that I like, back to I the like, I circle company. it. I circle Carl's Jr. in ever-decreasing circles <laughs> until I burned off about 600 calories and smash a wheat double inside. cheeseburger, <laughs> then run and ever-getting-bigger circles, and then I'm at a net zero when I get home. So it's... But no, I think how the data is managed, I worry that it, it's ta- a lot of this data is taken as people are contributing it completely consensually, yet 
They don't know where it's going. They don't quite know how to access it. It's split up in all these different things. The downside with tech is obsolescence. So some companies are collecting all this awesome data. You're having all these amazing interactions, and suddenly they go down, and you don't quite know how to get that data out. And then you've given them all this medical data. Can how can I transfer it into this app? To, to so I think issues like that, like Michelle was saying, storage and Keeping it cohesive is a massive issue, and then creating the software that can trawl through it. And because most of it's absolute rubbish, unfortunately, and and one system isn't compatible with another. So yeah, the data that that I'm um, you know collecting off one wearable isn't compatible with the with the system from another, uh, which isn't compatible with. One operating system, et cetera, et cetera, Look, all these is, things sort of this you, know, is you end where up I'm, with a big mashup of information. Where I mentioned HealthKit let me down. I had so much hopes for Apple's HealthKit and then like trying to sing, you know, going, okay, so I'll go for a run with my Nike um, app. Sweet. And then I'll go, you know, oh, this time I'm, um, I'm traveling, so I've just got my Fitbit on me. So I'll go for a run that. But it never matches it all up. The Nike stuff comes in and and fuel points or whatever they want to call it, you know, then the, the Fitbit stuff's coming in on how they determine calories and you know, it's nothing's linear and just if if all the companies got together and said, Here you go, you can we'll we'll put it all together, we'll all agree on this, this is how I'm moving forward in health. I just wear all of them dies, get about half a dozen up each arm and uh, then all the data's in each in each system and then I can decide later. Is that a good approach? <laughs> You might just wait, be weighed down by all the tech and that'll consume more calories. Uh, uh, yeah, oh, there could be some benefits in there. It might get a bit pricey. Um, Michelle, is it, we're, we're just about uh, finished up. Was there anything that you'd like to uh, add in? Because I know you had you had quite a few notes in area and, and topics. Oh, I could talk about I don't want to cut you, you too know, short. No, I think the only thing that came out sort of this week that I was excited about was the sort of big push towards wireless charging. Um, Samsung 6 talked about it and I think those who create phones that have wireless charging are going to stand above the crowd you know and, and I haven't heard anything from Apple about that and the fact that Ikea is now about to sell a little celebration from Dai when I said the yeah. word Ikea were you at you was that a meatball uh, celebration uh, was that it? Yeah. <laughs> so Ikea are going to be selling these tables with induction charging Starbucks are now going to put these um, tables in so you can just put your device down charge it without having to put a little plug in there um, and I'm, I'm quite excited about induction charging mainly because the technology was pretty much invented here in Auckland by a group at the University of Auckland who then commercialized it through Power by Proxy and I think it's an awesome tech that was invented here and now you can just put your phone on your bedside table not worry which charger you've got charge all your devices and so I'm a little bit excited about induction charging and what that's going to mean for our future devices but also what's going to keep up and what's just going to be left behind without it. Yeah, I think I mean it's great to see the sort of standards coming coming through there. More devices. I mean, Apple have jumped into that a little bit with the Apple Watch with its little magnetic charger and wearables. Apple reinvented wireless charging. Well, that's now true. you can do wireless charging with wires. <laughs> think about that. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, sorry, what were you about to say there? No, I'm, I'm so excited about wireless charging, and the thing is, I was, um, I was basically just using my Nexus Five um, on uh, travelling, and um, I've been using, you know, a little. And the thing is, with wireless charging, like as the Nexus Five, but I was using a Samsung charging pad for it, and just got used to that. Always chucking it down in the office rather than getting a cord out and do that, and then got back to the iPhone and was oh. Right, I'll plug it in. And you can put a special cover on your iPhone to do it, but it's just not the same, is it? No, I mean, I like it's it's not the same. And to be honest, this is a thing that baffles me with Apple because what wireless charging is is simplicity, and what Apple strives for is simplicity. And the way they're going with their new MacBook, with everything, is no cords, no ports. No, nothing. You know, they'd ideally sell you a laptop that doesn't have a screen and a keyboard. Like, so why why they're not doing why they're not doing wireless charging baffles me. I think I think that will come. We'll see a lot more of it. And what we've got at the moment isn't 
you know, isn't the final step of where wireless charging is, is going from the, you know, the demonstrations I've seen from Power by Proxy and Intel and, and, and other companies. Um, you know, what's ahead is actually maybe, you know, quite a lot more exciting than what we've got now. And, you know, the fact that you'll be able to drop, you know, drop your laptop down, you know, on a, on a table and have that wirelessly charge. I mean, it's going to be yeah, much, much broader than what we have at the moment with, with just, you know, a, a handful of smartphones. So just to take you to the next level, because you know I like to talk about the future future in nanotech. So there's new nanotech that's been coming out this year, um, at least in my little tiny circles, um, which is using the triboelectric effect. Anybody know what the triboelectric effect is? You're going to tell us. Sounds good, doesn't it? So tribo means to rub two surfaces together, electric, electricity. And basically, it's wearable tech in your clothing. So what they do is they put take your clothing and they coat it with silver and then put usually iron oxide um, fibrils on there. And then you get the piezoelectric effect. So motion and friction creates electricity. They just made this jacket. It's super cool. Um, they The keyless entry system, they put into it straight in the sleeve. So now you, if, it's, if you wear that jacket, you can get into your car. They're able to put LED lights on there that charge just by your motion. Great for me as a cyclist because now I could wear clothing that lights up because I'm already moving because I'm cycling. Um, and so actually I think we have all this energy that we don't use, which is our motion energy. And there's no reason why instead of just having wireless charging on a static object we can't be wireless chargers because we're already moving and so i'm all about that as an energy source that is very cool. Well, I think that uh, that brings us to a to a close. This was a whole lot of fun. Uh, thank you, Di. Thank no you. Worries. Thank you very much. I'm just blown away by this. I love it. And then you get to that point, like Scarlett Johansson did in that movie, where you unlock 100 percent of your brain's potential. Wow. And thank you, we're Michelle. Up for a good year next year. Um, I hope we'll be able to get you back again for another one of these, Michelle. It was uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, thank you to everyone who's who's come along. Uh, special thank you to Spark for opening up the Spark Lab for us today. Um, this was very much a, a sort of a, a fairly last minute experiment for us to uh, see what it what it would be like to uh, just open up to a, a small audience. And uh, so there'll be a few one or two of the gadgets we've talked about will be available for um, passing around to have a little bit of a look at. Um, so thanks, guys, for, for coming. Thanks, Spark. Um, and, yeah, that's us. We'll be back again next next week. Now, Michelle, where do people find you online? Just Google Nano Girl. All sorts of things will come up. They will. And Die, where's the best place to find I, you? Because you're, you're all over the place. I'm all over the place. I'm basically Die Henwood on all the things or go to die.kiwi. Excellent. And so make sure you follow Di, follow uh, Michelle on Twitter and whatever, or whatever social networks you're on to keep up to date with, with what they're doing. Uh, and you can uh, find out what's happening in the world of podcasts by following Podcasts NZ on Twitter. We're on Facebook as well. And you'll find out there about NZ Tech Podcast and a bunch more podcasts that are uh, coming along shortly. All right. Thanks, everyone. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.